Live Poetry Slam Podcast. The following poem is called Robin Frost and then Preston's Home Stubbook. Will I give the fuck him and fuck you too? I want to sew the world into its sheets. I want to beat it with a bat until the warning sticks. A handgun is a machine. I'm tired of holding the wounded animal of my heart and instructing it on how to bleed. All I see are stars in the mouth of a tiny ghost. Can you hear that? All those pins dropping. Hello again, and welcome back to the Mile High Poetry Slam podcast. I am your host, Eddie Eifler, here fresh off of the Minor Disturbance Grand Slam that just happened on Friday. I am recording this section of the podcast on Saturday, and man, I am just still in my feelings about what went down. Before we get into that, I do want to talk a little bit of housekeeping before we dive headfirst into that slam-off. So, a huge thank you to my guest last week, local legend, Denver Slam founder, Ian Doggerty, who was very, very gracious about his time and about working with me. I just sent him a message saying, hey, when are you free? When can I come and bring some recording and we can get an interview going? And he was like... Why don't you come on by? I might be home a little late, but we can knock it out. And he was so generous with his time, so generous with his availability, and just gave me some terrific, terrific answers. So I do want to say thank you one more time to our first ever guest on the Mile High Poetry Slam podcast. Still blowing my mind that this is actually happening, that he was the first guest, and and this is a thing that is continuing. Uh, Thank you again so much to Ian Doggerty. I just got word today that Slam Nuba's Slam Off has been moved to April 28th, and it is at their regular venue, the Crossroads Theater. More information as it becomes available, check your Facebook, check your Twitter, check your local slams, check your podcasts for more information on the Slam Nuba Slam Off show. The Slam Offs are always some of the best nights of poetry of the entire year, and yesterday was no exception. When we're talking about the Minor Disturbance Slam Off, We're talking about the most talented young writers in the entire city. We had 11 representatives just going hard, just trying to make this team, and the competition certainly encouraged the cream to rise to the top. Uh, Let me just read some of these names off for you. Your team for this 2017 Minor Disturbance national team is going to be Emery Vela, Alexis Rain Vigil, Joanna Cotto, Mia Nelson, Rain, and Mahogany is your champ. Now, if some of those names are familiar, it's because you probably have heard them before at the Mercury Cafe and at Youth on Record and at other Minor Disturbance events. If some of those are brand new to you, they were brand new to me before, and i got to tell you, I was blown away. Initial thoughts, initial reaction is, I believe, this is one of the most complete teams that we've had in a very, very long time. And when I say complete, what I mean is it's got a healthy number of members who don't require a whole lot of polish. The writing is there. The performance is there. It's just about making what's great even better in a team setting. And I'm very, very excited to hear some of the group work that this team has planned out. And when I say complete, I also mean balanced. We've got a really balanced group of individuals here. We've got people who've been doing this for a number of years. We've got people brand new to the scene. We've got people who 
are really strong writers. We've got people who are really strong performers. We've got people who are somewhere in the middle. I think Joanna is a perfect example of someone who has just started really getting a feel for this thing that we call Poetry Slam, but is picking it up super, super quick. Uh, her writing is just going to improve over time, and her performance is always just right where it needs to be with her writing. My personal opinion, and this is not to disparage anyone, but my personal opinion is Emery, Rain, and Mahogany are probably the three most complete writers, performers, uh, slam poets that this team has to offer. Uh, Mia has some of the best writing I have ever heard from anyone. You want to talk about youth, adult, uh, old, young, anything. Like Her writing blew me away. The craft was just so complex and sophisticated. And then, of course, we got our veteran leadership in Alexis Rain Vigil, former member of the team, leading the charge. I'm sure is going to take a very prominent role in the direction of this team. So like I said, I am very, very excited to see what happens with this group of young people. And if you missed out, you missed out. Uh, I don't have any audio from this event because there was nowhere for me to plug in any kind of recording device. This was held at the McNichols building down off of Colfax. And while they do have a PA, they have no audio out. So while I brought my recording equipment, there was no way for me to actually plug in to any kind of direct microphone. I thought about setting up some kind of ambient mic, but the acoustics in that room were really, really big. And, and when I say big, I mean the room itself was big. And so sound was just echoing and bouncing. And, and the only way I could have gotten any kind of audio would be with a ton of just natural reverb and a ton of just audience reaction drowning it out. And I just didn't think I would get very good audio. So I don't have anything from that night, which is why I say if you missed out, you missed out. This was just an amazing night, and I cannot mention how excited I am for this team moving forward. Not only did they have their slam off on Friday, but there was a minor disturbance youth slam on Sunday. So that's what we're going to get into right now. This I was able to record, so I'm going to have some drops for you, and we'll talk about it after the bump. <laughs> Denver. 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 Queen City of the Plains. Lift high our spirits. Sing well our praise. For in you we live and are loved. No bad time. All right. The open mic of the Mercury Cafe and Youth Poetry Slam was held on April 9th. 2017. It was the first slam after the Minor Disturbance youth team got selected on that Friday before. Uh, I'll start off with the open mic. Some notable notes here. First of all, your condensed open mic was only six people long instead of eight people. We had Puck. We had yours truly, Eddie Eifler, on there. We had a new voice, Daniel Badagali. We had Wheeler Lights, Eliza Beth, and Elijah. Um, just a couple notable things happened here. Daniel Badagali was, like I said, a new voice who came to us from Los Angeles. He read two pieces, one really short cover of an Aesop Rock uh, poem, song, 
and one of his own pieces that it was about Los Angeles. So I'm going to play you a clip of that right now. There are 12 million people in this city, and we all feel lonely. Very few actors ever make it professionally, but L.A. is full of fake acting. We wouldn't know real if it smacked us in the face in the form of a 2x4 with nine rusted nails attached to it. All we know is fake. Now, what I liked about this poem, about its style, was that it blended a lot of different things. It had good imagery. It had some unexpected... Uh, twists in it it had in parts where the audience thought there might be some cliche he completely turned it around and delivered something that the audience did not see coming which is always a delight always a treat had some hip-hop in there had some just straight up more narrative style spoken word um, it was really enjoyable and uh, hope we hopefully we get to hear more of uh, Daniel in the future but I think he did say he was back on to Los Angeles so maybe if he comes back to the National Poetry Slam we'll see the other notable note was a brand new piece by Elijah now you remember him from last week he made it to the third round of the slam he read a brand new piece about Moses and the third round of that slam last week and now we have an even more brand newer piece that he wrote about Coolio that was just so interesting it took so many twists and turns he sets it up to be this sort of funny piece where he uh, sings Coolio's most well-known hit the Gangster's Paradise song but he sings it really really low like almost a baritone and he sings it really slowed down so it's almost like a mocking of him like the audience was really compelled to laugh when Eli was singing this song but then he unleashes some of the most like crazy complex and beautiful imagery and really thought-provoking language about this person named Coolio and his relationship with the hood his relationship with growing up gangster. But then again, he flips it right back around and makes it a funny piece. Makes it a, uh, introduces this idea of his long-lost love named Kulia, who is like his female equivalent. And it was, it was a longer piece, but there was so much going on in here. He took the audience for a ride. So let me just play you with just a small clip, and it's not going to do the poem justice, but a small clip of this brand new piece by Elijah. Every child raised by a village rich with hood shit knows you don't have to get jumped in for that life to live inside you forever. And there you have, again, some of the, more of that like really insightful writing that Eli, Elijah, Smiley Gatmouth is really known for. But like I said, that one little clip is not going to do the poem justice. You really needed to be there to experience exactly what was going on with this piece. It did take the audience on such a ride. Uh, other notables include uh, Wheeler Light reading his piece about winning the writing contest again. And if you listened to the Poetry Slam podcast last week, you heard a little clip of that. Uh, it was the same poem, a little bit more of a desperate performance this time. I really think he's trying to tap into what he was feeling when he wrote this piece, and he's, he's really finding his way with it. And Eliza Beth reading a political poem on America that had a lot of really good lines in it. Um... You had, like I said, yours truly getting up on there. It's not something I normally do a whole lot anymore, but I've got this new piece. I'm working with my students, and the, the good teacher handbook tells you that you're supposed to do all of the assignments that you give to your students. So I did the assignment that I gave to them, and I just read sort of the incarnation I was at aloud on the open mic just to kind of gauge what was going on and, and let them know what was happening. So that was your open mic. Now we have your minor disturbance, Youth Slam. Okay, those who are familiar with Second Sunday's The Mercury Cafe know that the youth slams are only two rounds long. 
And this night on Sunday, we only had five competitors instead of your typical eight. It's probably a mixture somewhere in between uh, fatigue from Friday because, like I said, they did just pick a team. But also, it looks like we had some people slamming because of what happened on Friday. We had two people who made your team. Those were Alexis Rain and Mia. And, oh, I said before that I didn't catch any recording from the slam-off, and if you missed it, you missed it. Well, I none of what happened with Mia specifically on Sunday was the same as what happened on the team selection on Friday, but I was able to record both of her pieces that she read because she read the first and the second round. So let me give you just a little clip of this first piece. And I wear my skin like some girls wear lipstick. Here is the most beautiful, loud part of me, and here it is bleeding. And just like with Elijah's piece, that one does not do the poem justice. She is, without a doubt, without hyperbole, one of the best pure writers I have heard in a very long time. Her craft, her imagery, her message, her delivery, everything is just so well constructed. It was like, it was like, I don't even know. It was like the the most exquisite thing that I could have heard at that particular moment from that particular voice on that particular night. And again, if you missed it, my goodness, did you miss out on one of the brightest young stars. And it's crazy that I personally have never heard this young poet read anything before Friday. And then I got to hear her read two pieces in three days, and my mind was just blown by this young lady. Another notable note in this first round was Finn. Now, this was the first time Finn uh, had slammed, as far as I can tell. Finn is Jess Nieberg's brother, who has been going through some tough identity times and uh, is really just trying to make sense about what's going on. And this poem that they read, let's go with they, that they read, was, I think, a reflection of what's going on with them. Um, it had some really, really well-crafted imagery, really, really well-crafted figurative language. One of the, the aha moments of this poem was the line, uh, my body is not a temple. If anything, it's more like a broken-down amusement park, and that's your controlling metaphor. And then the poem just goes into all these different subordinate metaphors about the rides and about what that means to be a body that that experiences all those things. It was really well done. So here's a quick clip from Finn Nieberg. My body is not a temple. At best, it's an abandoned carnival. With the tricks my mind plays, twisting my perceptions, fake smiles, and rigged games. Clowns like thoughts piled up into cars, racing. Uh, the other notable note in that first round, oh, you know what? I should tell you who was in that first round. Uh, we had Sacrificing was uh, Jess Nieberg, Mia Red first in the actual slam. Then we had Jolene, Finn, who is Jess's brother, uh, McKenna, and Alexis Rain. Now, Alexis also made the youth slam team on Friday, and so her and Mia both read on the youth slam. And so that was the first round. I'm going to play you also... Just a little clip from Jess Nieberg's sacrificial poem because it was a brand new piece. And she showed up to the Merc a little after sign-up time. And anyone who's been there at 7.30 knows that that list fills up quick. So she showed up a little afterwards and was not able to get on the open mic list. But apparently she had a whole bunch of family showing up that really wanted to hear her read a poem. So 
she was fortunate enough to be the sacrifice on the youth slam. And I got to tell you, I was sitting across from her family at the table they were sitting, and her grandmother was there. And the whole time Jess is reading this poem, her grandmother's mouth is agape, like in disbelief. She can't believe that all of these amazing things are coming from her granddaughter. And it was just such a treat to watch this intergenerational discovery. It was it was kind of like when you discover uh, your parents are humans in reverse. It's when it's when your grandmother discovers that you are indeed a human and that you have all of these uh, sophisticated thoughts and and all of this contribution and this beauty to give to the world for the first time. It was such a treat to see Jess Nieberg and her family. And here's a little clip of what she read as that sacrificial poet. He built me like a city with tear duct trenches, roadmaps for my runoff rain, clawed at me for concrete until he was sure I would not push back in the way only the ground does when struck over and over by a storm. All right, I already went over uh, Mia because I was just so excited I jumped the gun on that one. The other notable note was Alexis Rain because, like I said, she was another uh, youth that made the team on Friday. She did in both rounds because she made uh, both rounds uh, pieces that she's done before. This first one was on the day after the election. When she talks about her feelings, her thoughts, her reactions, uh, not just internally but externally, after uh, Donald Trump got elected, number 45, got elected to the presidency of the United States. Now, this unsurprisingly is a really hot issue for a lot of people in Denver, Colorado, because we have a very large Chicano population, and with all of the rhetoric being thrown back and forth between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton and immigrants, specifically Mexican immigrants. Uh, Alexis is Chicano and Native American, so the rhetoric was particularly harsh where she was concerned, and so she had a lot to process after that election. So I'm going to play you just a little clip from that poem she read in the first round. When you compare protesters to crying children, yes, we are crying, and yes, we are scared, but most of all, we are angry that once again this country has said that we do not matter. So this poem takes us through a couple of different perspectives. The first one at the beginning of the poem she talks about her own reactions to what's going on and about how she felt really far away from home. She was in college when this election was was determined when the results were read and it based off of the beginning of the poem she really just wanted to be at home with her family and since she couldn't she wanted a little piece of home to come to her. But then as the poem progresses, it's more about lashing out to the people who voted for Trump and, and trying to understand why they would vote for this person. And so she has a lot of harsh words to say in the second half, but anyone in her position, I think, felt very similar things as far as like what was said in the lead-up to the election and then how this person could be put into a White House, it took a lot of people by surprise. So that was the first round. From those five, uh, we cut down to three. Those three were Mia, Alexis Rain, and McKenna. Now, uh, Mia, like I said, one of my favorite young writers, uh, pure writers, went first in that second round. And she read short poems in both rounds. The first one was about being 17. Uh, this next one was just so, again, beautifully well-crafted. I'm going to play you just a little clip of it right now. 
and the more I exist, the more Judas is on my mind. How he betrayed God with a kiss, and sometimes love is betraying God with a kiss. So that poem was amazing. It was Mia's take on love and what love sometimes is. And my goodness, uh, what great, great imagery. For someone who just turned 17, just the thought process in this young writer and how poignant and how close to home some of these comparisons were, some of these metaphors were, it, it really does just make you hopeful for the future. And that's the best we can ask for from our Youth Slam, from our Youth Slam team, from our Second Sunday Nights, it, just to, to be constantly amazed at what awaits us. Because if these young poets are writing this well when they are 17 years old, I can't even imagine what the future holds for Mia, for Alexis, for Finn, for all of the people on this list. When I was 17, man, I was writing poems, but they weren't any good. Like, no good. And then just to see people doing what they're doing and to see the voices and, and what's happening, it just it fills your heart with so much, I don't want to say joy, but it really fills it with hope that everything is going to be okay. The other big notable note in the second round was Alexis uh, read her piece on being a, quote, uh, loud brown Latina with kinks and uh, her experiences with sexual trauma and how that translates into her relationships and just the confusing nature of what that all means. So I'll play you a quick clip from that poem. Foreplay and abuse sometimes leave the same taste in your mouth. Now, Alexis really tackles a very, very difficult, controversial subject with this piece, this idea of being into kink, because it's got one perception in society it's got one perception in its own scene and then there's kind of like the underlying reality of what's going on with the kinds of kink that she's talking about this kind of master slave domination control and what that means for both parties it's it's a really a lot to talk about it's really a lot to try and and put succinctly into a poem and a lot of this piece is just her trying to express at least from me, from an audience perspective, it's a lot of her trying to express how she's navigating this part of herself, uh, what that means with trauma, what that means behind closed doors, what that means in public, uh, different reactions and different ways that manifests itself. So it's, it's really complex. It's a lot going on in this piece. And it was what took it home for her. Alexis ended up winning the night off of the strength of this poem. So she was your champion. Uh, for this youth slam and the last notable bit of what happened on the night actually happened during her victory lap and before like I get into it let me just play you a small clip of how she prefaced it the community that's supposed to heal is the one that cuts the deepest an open letter so Alexis really talks a lot about safe space and what it means to be uh, betrayed by a community or by a space that someone once felt really safe in and welcomed in. And there's a lot of conversation going on, not just in Denver, but nationally, about this idea of safe space, safe space versus brave space, what that phrase even means, if there is such a thing as a safe space. So it's a really big, really, really complicated issue, and it's getting a lot of attention. Like I said, not just in Denver, but nationwide. 
uh, Susie Q. Smith, the executive director of Poetry Slam Incorporated, put a status up on her Facebook not too long ago asking people how they define this term, safe space. And a lot of people from all over the country weighed in, and the one big takeaway was that a lot of people have a lot of different definitions for it. And a lot of people can't seem to agree on what that definition is. Some people think there's no such thing as a safe space. Some people think SLAM's role in creating safe space should be a lot higher than what it is right now. Other people think it should be a lot more pulled back and relaxed than what it is right now. A lot of people treat it very differently from scene to scene to scene. So it's, again, it's a, a really controversial issue. It's, it's really on the tip of everyone's tongue right now. And I'm personally not sure what to make of a lot of it. Um, if you want to let me know, then I'm calling you out, you listener, whoever you are. Come find me on Twitter. Come find me on Facebook. What is your definition of safe space? And what do you think the role of Poetry Slam should be in creating that safe space? How long do you think Poetry Slam's reach should last? How hard should Poetry Slam go in maintaining and protecting that space? Uh, does it default to one story over another or is it more pulled back what is poetry slam's role in creating this idea of a safe space or is it something poetry slam should not even consider is it something that's not even under the umbrella or the radar of your regular weekly or monthly or however frequently poetry slam that happens in your part of the world let me know what you think because, like I said, it's a topic that not a lot of people can agree on, but it is a topic that is on the tips of everyone's tongue. Alright, so that was your Youth Slam for April 9th, 2017. Now, your interview is someone I was wanting to get before I even really began this podcast. I talked to this person weeks before I even started doing this, saying, I want to interview you, I want to interview you, I'm trying to do this podcast thing, and I know that you would be a great guest, so I, I got them, it's a really great interview that addresses a lot of what we've talked about in this slam, a lot about history, a lot about safe space, a lot about um, different roles that people play in the community, so here we are, your interview for this week is Piper Mullins. And here we are with our guest this week, former Slam Master extraordinaire, Piper Mullins. How you doing, Piper? Hi, I'm doing okay. Doing okay? Yeah. Well, I've got some questions for you. Okay. Uh, just a few. And uh, Piper has not been prompted on these questions beforehand. These are coming as a surprise. So hopefully, <sighs> I, will get, hopefully I will get an honest response from them. Here we go. My first question. Why Poetry Slam? What initially drew you to this medium? I think, I mean, I've been writing since I was a kid, and writing was a thing. It's kind of always how I've processed things. Um, when I started reading poems out loud to people, I started processing things differently, I guess, a little bit quicker. And also... One of the first events I went to was a Denver Poets Day. <laughs> and I showed up, and I was there all day. My poetry mentor at the time, my teacher, um, was there as well. And at the end of the day, there was a couple who wanted to get married in the pavilion at Cheeseman Park, 
where we had been post up all day, sucking up all the available space. And they were like, hey, like, we're going to do this civil union thing. It was before gay marriage was legal in Colorado. But they were doing it anyway. And they were like, do you guys mind if we do this right here, right now? And everybody was totally cool with it. And this, like, really magical, lovely thing happened, like, there in the presence of all these poets. And after that, I was just kind of hooked. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd love to say it was, like, all of the muscle and star power of Slam. And some of it was, like, one of the first Slams that I went to featured the Chicano messengers of spoken word. And Ken Arkind was there. And it was, like, a lot of, like, really great poems that happened. But um, I think at the end of the day, it was, like this space that was created and this willingness of this community to embrace these perfect strangers and kind of allow like their moment to happen amid this other event that was happening because it just fit with everything else that was going on. What are both the benefits and the pitfalls of slamming regularly? Um, I think the benefits for me is that I get to try my work out in a room and see how it's impacting people and how it how it works and whether the lines are landing the way that I want them to or not. Um, and I think it changes my editing process. Um, I think when you read work out loud, you hear it differently than you hear it when it's on page. And it makes you think about the poem differently. Um, I think that's definitely a benefit. I think, like I said, like that processing that happens for me happens a lot more quickly when I'm reading work out loud to people. Um, the pitfalls, <laughs> um, I think especially in a place like Denver where you've got so many phenomenal writers, you can sort of start to feel like you're getting lost in the shuffle. <laughs> I feel like you can um, start comparing your writing to other writers rather than comparing your writing to your writing, which is kind of a big thing about development, right? Like, you shouldn't be comparing your poems to Ian Doherty's poems or Susie Q. Smith's poems or Connor Marvin's poems. Like, those aren't your poems. Those are somebody else's poems. So... I think it, it shifts your perspective a little bit, and I also think there's potential there to start sounding like other people and writing like other people and writing the same kinds of poems that other people write because you see them have success. And I don't know that that's necessarily the poet's job. Like, the poet's job is to write your poems in your voice. And one of the things that I think I see happen a lot is, like, people who write together start to sound the same. And I'm not a huge fan of that because I think everybody has something to offer and everybody has something to bring to the table. And I think the best moments in the slam or the open mic are when everybody's just kind of bringing what they have to the table and playing with it. So. Well, you've worn many hats in your time involved in Mercury Cafe. You've been a competing member of a team, an alternate, a coach, a slam master. I want you to talk to me about the different responsibilities that comes with each one of those jobs <laughs> and what are your philosophies when approaching <laughs> those different types of jobs? Um, I think 
I'm still trying to figure out how to navigate being a competing team member. Um, that's like, I think probably an ongoing struggle or w will be an ongoing struggle for me if I compete in future teams, but like working with four other people and trying to make art can be really challenging. <laughs> and especially like, I mean, you've got these huge personalities a lot of the time and that's not really where I live. I don't live in huge personality land. <laughs> I live in like, I'm going to be over here in this corner with my book land. <laughs> so I think, um, being an introvert in that space can get really interesting because I'm not always as un um, unfiltered as some people are necessarily. And, um, it's just been a, a real process, like learning how to work with people in that environment and learning how to work with people on art process because everybody works differently and it's really interesting to me and it's really fascinating, but it's also really challenging sometimes. Uh, as far as being a coach, I think your job is to let the poets know what you see. And I think different coaches have different philosophies. Um, I know some people are like, just go hard, just go as hard as you can, just do like all the things as like big and tough and, and whatever is possible, just yell at people. Like, um, and some people are like, oh, go inside, like, get as like in touch with yourself as you possibly can. Like, and I feel like my dynamic in that respect is to look at what I don't see coming from the performance of the poem and try and add that piece to the poem. Um, Explain that a little more. What do you talk about? Like, I feel like making a poem more dynamic for the poet involves, like, finding a way to get them in touch with the piece differently than they are as the person who wrote it to like give them what your experience of it is as an audience member and how that experience can maybe be more dynamic and so for some people that does mean going a little harder <laughs> and for some people that does mean going a little more internal but it kind of you have to cater that to every poem and every poet and like try to provide them with what your experience of the piece is and you can really only give them what your perspective on it is and what your perspective on what's going to make it better or what's going to make it pop is. I'm sure that Jen Rinaldi would have, like, much better coaching advice that hopefully she keeps under her hat because she's brilliant. But <laughs> And we don't want everybody knowing Jen Rinaldi's coaching advice. But I think, like, for me, it's all about just letting the poet know what my experience of the poem is and seeing if I can get them to go to a different place with it and see how that changes it. How about as a slam master with your philosophies there? <laughs> um, how do you juggle 15 fiery balls all at once without burning the crap out of your hands? I think is what being a slam master is all about. You know, um, like the paperwork aspect of it, it's pretty simple. Like, get your paperwork in on time and do all of the things that are required of you and keep the slam in compliance and 
keep some kind of like normalized schedule as as far as your features and things go. But I think when it gets down into the finer points of like maintaining a community full of a diverse array of people who are completely different from each other and have different needs and different requirements and different wants and different expectations of what the space is going to be like. It's pretty much like juggling a million fiery balls and trying not to burn the crap out of your hands. It's like, how can I best suit the needs of the community as a whole and best keep the venue represented and also handle like the minutiae of all of the intersections that are involved in this venue and try to keep everyone pleased with what's happening here. And some of that, I think, is just in cultivating good relationships with people, which, for somebody who's an introvert, takes some time. Um, And some of that's just knowing when to make what move and when to book what feature and when to, you know, um, tag people in the Facebook post about what's happening in the venue that week, like... There's a lot of things that go on in, in maintenancing the venue and, like, really, like, making people feel like they're included. And I think that's, like, the biggest thing that I hear that's always disheartening is when people don't feel like they're included. And how do we make the space, like, bigger to include the people who feel like they're excluded from it? Well, you don't slam very often anymore. And when you do, you've been known to intentionally go over time. So my question here is, what are your goals when you slam? And how have those goals changed over time? Um, I don't really slam to get on a team or make a venue rep position or anything anymore. But I don't know that I ever actually really did too much at all. Um... I think on a night-to-night basis, if I'm slamming, those goals change. I think sometimes the goal might be, I just want to try out this new poem and see how it does in XYZ round. Or this person is getting really cocky and I kind of want to give them a run for their money to make them feel some (laughs) kind of way. Or... (laughs) um, You know, sometimes it's just wanting to get up there and do it for muscle memory. And sometimes it's wanting to, like, create a particular conversation in the room. Something I see that people are either, A, talking about and I have something to add to that conversation. Or something that people are not talking about and I feel like it's an important conversation that needs to happen. Sometimes it's sitting in the back of the room and feeling what poem the room needs to hear that night. And... Maybe I have that poem in my pocket. I don't know. Um, but I think it varies from from night to night. I don't really know that I have an explicit goal in mind. Um, if you're talking about why do I get so many time penalties, I don't know if that's the question that you're trying to ask in a like sideways kind of way or not. No, I'm, I'm asking the question. Um, I think... Sometimes I think that we get so keyed into our idea of what slam is or what slam should be 
that we forget to play with the rules a little bit. And I think sometimes it's useful to remind people that the whole purpose of this game that we play is to get people to come into a room to listen to poems. And those poems don't necessarily have a specific time limit or a time, you know, like, they don't have to be three minutes long either. (laughs) Um, I just tend to write longer poems because I'm wordy, but... (laughs) But I think it's good to take people a little bit out of even that three-minute comfort zone sometimes to just remind them why they're there. And how do you think that, if not, say, goals, maybe approach, how do you think that approach has changed over time? Um, I think Susie Q was really instrumental in changing my approach to slam, I think. In the beginning, it was all about, I don't know as much if it was as much about like making a team or making an individual position or anything like that as it was about proving myself to the community, I guess. Um, and so I thought that there was a certain method to going about doing that. And that method was, like, always doing the more memorized, more polished work. (laughs) And I think Susie told me something one time about how she reads the poem she wants to read. And anytime she reads the poem she wants to read, she wins the slam. Not meaning that she wins the actual slam, but meaning that she walks away knowing that she read the poem she wanted to read that night. And I think that's kind of a thing for me. I think I've had the nights where I read the poem that I think is going to do well. And sometimes it doesn't do that well, which can be disappointing because then you're like, God, I should have just read the poem that I wanted to read instead. And it might have probably even done better because I was more into it, whatever. But also like the nights where you do do well with those poems, but you didn't read a poem you wanted to read that night. Like, for me, it's kind of always about the new work. It's about the poems that I've been writing because those are the ones that are most close to me. And even though that's the case, you know, sometimes you still want to do that old poem. It pops up in your brain for some reason or something that's great. But, like, I think the key is, like, doing what you want to do in the slam because this is your three minutes. This is your time that you're allotted to do whatever it is that you're going to do. And you don't get a guaranteed three minutes next week to do it again, you know? Like, we don't know what's going to happen between now and next week. So you better read the poems you want to read now while you know you can. So there's been a lot of talk about safe space in Poetry Slam lately. I just want to get your thoughts, your opinions. Um, What do you think about this idea of safe space and what do you think slam's role in safe space is i mean that's a very complicated question (laughs) there's um there's this episode of gray's anatomy where there's an active shooter in the hospital and the episode opens with meredith gray doing a monologue talking about how she grew up in the hospital and it's like it's her church, it's her school, it's her safe place. This is also the monologue that the episode ends on. Um, And 
what they're trying to get at is kind of what an active shooter is doing when they come into a place and take that safety from somebody. But I think over the years and watching a lot of these dialogues happen in Slam, what it's kind of more made me think about is the fact that we call these places safe places. Hospitals should be the safest place in the world, right? They save lives there. But even though that's the case, there's still the potential for things to happen there that are not safe things. (laughs) And I think when we're talking about the spaces that we're creating, you can do as much as you can do to create an environment where people feel safe. You know, you can create an environment where people feel they have the ability to get up on a stage and say whatever it is that they need to say and that they're going to be loved and embraced for it and not ridiculed for it or whatever. Which, I mean, we've moved away from that as a community too. We've moved more into the space of this is a free speech venue and free speech works both ways, which I think is important. And I think that's an important piece of cultivating and normalizing um, the kind of culture that you want to develop is by letting people talk back at things and by letting people have dialogue with things. Um, When you're talking about creating a quote-unquote safe space, it's not like we're like checking IDs at the door. It's not like we're determining who comes in and who doesn't come in and like we're like making like a strict line about that. It's not like we're saying, oh, XYZ people can't come in here, but only these people can come in. It's an open space. It's a free speech space, and anybody's allowed to come into the space. Anything can happen in the space, right? We don't know what's going to happen on a Sunday night. Lots of weird shit has happened over the years. People people yelling things at at poets while they're on stage, and, you know, um, and not like in a free speech kind of a comfy cozy kind of a we're correcting you kind of way so I think it's it's really difficult to navigate this concept of safe space when what you are is an arts venue (laughs) and you're providing an arts show to the public and the public are the people who are participating in that and yes you have your community and yes you have your norms that you're trying to establish but the way that you establish those norms is through dialogue and I think we had a conversation or there was a lot of conversation at the National Poetry Slam in Boston in 2013 where they talked about this concept of safe space versus brave space because that's really what it is we're not creating safe space we're creating brave space We're creating space where people feel comfortable being the most of themselves that they can be on a given night. And that ideally creates dialogue. And that dialogue ideally moves the community in some kind of a direction or another. And I think to assume that the slam is some bubble that exists outside of the world that we live in and not like a microcosm of the world that we live in is a really hard, difficult lesson for a lot of people. I know it was a very hard, difficult lesson for me when I started realizing that all of these people that I admired and looked up to were not necessarily all 
everything that they put forth in their poems or were not necessarily living up to the standards that they establish in their poems and that's hard and it's difficult and it's heartbreaking and it's like having this thing that you thought was like this magical wonderful safe thing right it's this place that you go all the time and you feel the most of yourself there and then having that get broken a little bit it hurts and it's hard and you either decide that you're going to stay there and continue having conversations and continue trying to develop the kind of culture that you want to have or you decide to leave and those are kind of the decisions that get made nationally all right final question you just found a magic lamp we're up three times genie pops out and says you have one wish for poetry slam in denver what is your one wish Hmm. i think my most ideal wish would be that it it continues you know um i know that we haven't lost any of the founders of the slam by any means any any time recently but i know um lenny being gone is really difficult and every time i walk into the murk i feel like lenny's there he should be there and i think you you develop this sort of relationship with the poets where they do if not literally like you don't like literally become family with these poets figuratively and literally you do (laughs) and um i think when when they go away whether you know it's it's geographical distance or if they pass on it's like a a void is left but there's also a legacy there that is necessary to be carried forward and some of the way that we carry that forward is by continuing to tell our stories however they've been impacted by those those people and those poets um my hope for denver poetry slam is when we're all too old to continue doing the work of maintaining the space and maintaining an operating slam that there's people in Denver who want to continue the work of of keeping that going. I know for me personally, you know, it's it's a balance and there's definitely been some wounding that's happened, but there's also been an enormous amount of healing that's come out of doing slam. And I think that's something that's invaluable and I think that's something that I hope continues to occur, you know, whether it's a slam, whether it's the Merc becomes, a, you know, another open mic or whatever it is, like, I hope that there's somebody who wants to pick up that torch and carry it, because it's not always an easy torch to carry. And I think sometimes it's really easy for people to look at it on the outside and just be like, oh, you just, you host the slam and you collect the money and whatever, and it's just, you know, like this really simple thing that doesn't require a lot of work but the actual amount of work that goes into making that slam happen on a weekly basis is significantly more than that and I think the mental work that goes into trying to maintain and operate the space in a way that 
is good for the community as a whole requires a lot more than what people realize it does. And I just hope that people are willing to continue doing that work for the benefit that comes out of it. All right. Well, a huge thank you to our interview this week. Former Slam Master, competing team member, coach, and alternate Piper Mullins. Um, what do you got going on that's coming up here, either related to Slam or not related to Slam? So the National Poetry Slam is going to be in Denver in August, and I'm actually the volunteer coordinator, um, which means that I need people to send me emails and tell me that they want to volunteer, or they can go to the MPS Denver 2017 page and um, sign up from a link there but the most simple and efficient way for them to go ahead and do that is to just send me an email and they can send that to volunteer at npsdenver.com they can just send me an email and be like hey I want to volunteer what do I need to do and I will send them back a link that they can fill out a piece of paper this is actually really important some people don't think this is really important, but they fill out this form online. It's really simple, and they give me some very standard information so that I can start figuring out where to plug them into our volunteer pool. Um, and we've got a lot of stuff going on. Like we've got people who are going to be scorekeeping and timekeeping, and you know, yeah, there have to be people at the door, and there have to be people handling the merchandise, and there have to be people like about managing and hosting and doing all of the things and we need people for all of those positions but we're also going to have like a hospitality team we also need people to like stuffed gift bags for the poets and like deal with donations and all kinds of sorts of things so if any of that sounds like things that you could do or especially if you have graphic design skills and want an internship um, you can please send me an email at volunteers at npsdenver.com. I think that's volunteer, volunteer, no S, at npsdenver.com. Um, that would be great. All right, you heard it from the source. Get out there and volunteer, and the National Poetry Slam is, is really an incredible event. If you're not fortunate enough to go to it when it's not in Denver, you have the great opportunity to go to it while it's in Denver. And to see it firsthand live is no substitute. So reach out. Thank you again so much for Piper Mullins for being our guest this week. Another great interview with your former Slam Master and member of the fourth place finishing 2015 Mercury Cafe team, Piper Mullins. Before we get out of here, we just got a couple of quick hits we're going to talk about. First of all, the Mercury Cafe's last chance Slam is on April 23rd. Slam Nuba's team selection is going to happen April 28th, and that is going to be at the Crossroads Theater. We just got confirmation on that. The Poetry Rodeo, the Podio, is happening April 29th at the Mercury Cafe, and the Mercury Cafe team selection is happening April 30th. So we got quite a packed weekend of poetry coming up here in just a couple of weeks. Anyone else out there, be sure to follow me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter. Let me know what you think of this week's topics. Uh, like I said, not a lot of consensus going on out there but there is a whole lot of division a whole lot of divisiveness i think as long as we all remember that the point is not the point the point is not the poetry the point is was and always will be the people 